This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, the number one UK magazine for the sober curious drinker, bringing you news, reviews and interviews from the people, places and brands leading the low and no alcohol revolution. As a Sober Rebel listener, use code SOBERREBEL15 to get 15% off any digital or print subscription from the Low No Drinker magazine for six whole months. Hello and welcome to my brand new Sober Rebel podcast with me, Louisa Evans, the show that demonstrates that sober is most definitely not boring. Each episode, I talk to my amazing sober guests about the ways in which their lives have improved and changed for the better in sobriety, the things they've done or seen, and maybe even the things they've tried that they never thought they'd be able to do without a drink in their hand. I'm passionate about sobriety. So whether you're sober curious, in the early stages of sobriety, or even further down the line and wanting a bit of inspiration and entertainment from some amazing people, then stick around. So today I'm really excited to be talking to somebody I've connected with on Instagram, and that's Sophie, or Sober Soph, as she's known. Just for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit more about your sober journey? Because it is a bit different, isn't it? Yes, so I'm Soph. I live in Candom in London. Um, I'm married and I've got two girls who are 11 and 12 now. I actually stopped drinking for nearly four years with the help of AA. I wasn't really ready to stop drinking, but I just lost control of alcohol totally. So I was going to meetings and things and then we went into lockdown. And so the meeting stopped. I started going a little bit online, but it just lost momentum for me. And then I was sort of doing it alone, really. Yeah. I mean, I was white knuckling it to a certain degree, but by this point I'd had a lot, lot of time sober. So I was reaping the benefits, but I also still felt that it was responsible for making me a bit happy. And it was something that I couldn't do rather than something I didn't want to do, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah. So you still um, had that mindset, didn't you, that yeah. it was something enjoyable. Exactly, exactly. Because I hadn't actually, that first period of sobriety, I didn't read any, I didn't even know what quit lit meant. I hadn't read any books. I didn't listen to any podcasts or listen to any audibles. I'm dyslexic, so I do find it quite hard to concentrate on reading a book. But I'd always sort of thought, oh, you know, I haven't got time. I'm working or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And yeah. Anyway, I'd never, I'd never really read anything to do with sobriety. So yes, yeah, so I was sober for that amount of time. And then I went back out there for six months, which was a disaster. And I've been back sober for seven months now. So about the same as you actually. Um, yeah. So we started together. I'm, yeah. Yeah. This time I'm doing it totally differently and it's great. So you had four years, then you had that yeah. six months where you drank and it was yeah. it just that fear of missing out that you just thought I'm going to do this or reintroduce it or moderate what was your yeah well because I had no knowledge of what the alcohol was actually doing to me I just thought oh well I'm probably all right now and you know I felt so strong and empowered in so many other ways that I thought surely I'll be able to to go out and do some drinking you know we were out of lockdown lots of people were starting to go out again so that fear of missing out was coming back in how do you feel now about the fear of missing out Well, it's totally different now because I kind of refer to it as knowing my enemy. I didn't know. I really 100% did not know 
that it was alcohol that was making me feel my base level of of happiness was just different to how it is when I'm sober. When I was drinking, it was kind of like, you know, sort of like this. You can't see I'm doing like a low line below my boobies. So when I had a drink, it would just like lift me a little bit. So therefore, I thought alcohol made me happy. But I had no idea that it was all the wrong way round, really. You know, I knew that if I drank, then the next day I would feel down because I was hungover. But what I didn't realise was that because I drank steadily for so long, it chipped away at my moods and everything, really. All, all of my positivity and everything was kind of squashed down to a different level. And I only realised that when I stopped drinking and had a proper period away from it. And know? then did it cut back in? Did you find that you started drinking again and did you notice your mood then suffering straight away? Yes. Well, that's what I mean. It was so helpful for me, obviously, having such a long period of sobriety to look back on. So when I started drinking again and very quickly it got out of control, you know, it was a stereotypical, I was back to the worst it had been. It was horrible. I thought, okay, I'll, it was my best friend's birthday. I thought, oh, I'll drink for that. And then if it starts all getting out of control, then I'll just stop. And it took me six months to stop. Six months of anguish, getting a day behind me, then just couldn't last and then you know I was just back clawing a one day at a time and then going back to the start and it's horrible it's a horrible place to be because it's just all consuming shall I drink then shan't I drink then oh how can I stop how how can I start again without anyone knowing how can I oh it's just it's exhausting isn't it moderation <laughs> or trying to moderate or trying to stop or yeah. alcohol itself is exhausting it is just took up so much of my time. I'm so pleased that now I want to talk about how great it is without it, because I know that it is so great without it. And I knew that for those four years, which is why when I went back to being sober, I knew what I had to look forward to, basically. Yeah, you had that learned lesson, didn't you? You already had lived that experience. So all I needed to do was get rid of this belief that it was giving me anything at all. But I had that period of time to look back on. And it was very clear to me day to day that instead of, you know, all that time I'd had sober, I was up and getting out of bed and going off to work and happy and everything was good to this six months of just, oh, it's just horrible. It was Almost just like hor- flatlining, isn't it? Yeah, just, yeah. It's actually, there is a term for it. It's called anhedonia. I've only learned oh. that the other day. And it's... Something about the, the fact that alcohol is robbing, it's your brain isn't working properly, basically. Yeah. And this yeah. isn't a technical description, but your brain isn't working properly and it's robbing the joy from every day just yeah. on a, a level and you're unable to feel joy from the normal things. So then you have the glass of wine when you go out for a meal or you, you know, you meet with friends and you think it's the wine that's giving you that joy because in that moment it is because it's bringing that baseline back up, but it's an enforced low baseline to begin with. When I first stopped, I didn't really think I needed to. I didn't want to as much as I clearly did need to and want to. I wasn't ready. And I did it for my girls. You know, I had small children at the time. My husband was just like, you know, I'd got it all into this mummy wine culture. Whereas, you know, meeting my friends who also had kids in the day after school, you know, having the odd bottle of wine and it just spiraled out of control, really. On the mummy wine culture front, I fell for that as well. And 
It's only when you start reading, you say you didn't read Crit Lit the first time you went sober. It was when I started reading and reading and reading about the actual effects of alcohol on the body and the marketing and the machine that is the alcohol industry that just is convincing us at every turn we need it all the time. That opened my eyes and I thought, I've now seen this. I can't unsee it. And that's probably actually when I was in early sobriety, I was struggling, I was resetting. And that was when I had my lowest moment because I thought I'm still doing this thing. Yeah. Knowing this and I don't want to be. And that was my low point. Yeah, absolutely. It's horrible. The same for me. It was power. Learning about all of those things was power to me because once I knew it, it was harder for me to be conned by it. You know, I had that foresight. Like the Matrix, blue pill, red pill. Yeah. One of the very first books I read was the Alan Carr, How to Stop Drinking. And there's a great analogy in there about wearing tight shoes, you know, so wearing tight shoes only to take them off. And that's and that really, really summed it up for me because when I was drinking, whether I was drinking or not, I had those tight shoes on. So I couldn't actually concentrate on all the joy of other things because my mind was just consumed by these tight shoes. You know, when I was going to get my drink or if I had a drink or when was the next time I was going to have a drink, you know, I actually, I was blinded to everything else. It was kind of like all my joy and all my life was kind of fuzzed and dulled down. Yeah. You don't have to be drinking in extreme quantities for that to be the case. Even people that don't drink that often, alcohol's in your system for, I think it's five days. So these weekend drinkers that, you you know, I've got friends that are weekend drinkers and I'll say you're doing the hardest five days over and over and over again. Yeah, so, so true. It really is. I wish I'd known how much easier it would be. You know, when I first started, I just thought, how am I ever going to do this? If it's going to be this hard forever, I'm not going to be able to do it. And that is the whole point, isn't it? I felt exactly the same way. I was getting to about a fortnight, about three weeks, and then resetting, resetting. And I just couldn't see how I was going to fight this voice that I called the wine witch, Mm. which I know a lot of people use that term, but I couldn't see how I would fight this person in my head for the rest of my life, because that's what I believed it would be like. And then somebody actually said to me, it gets easier. And I went, okay, I'll trust you. And I did. And I stuck at it. And I can honestly sit here now, and I know you'll agree with me and say, it does get easier. And it doesn't take that long for it to get easier. As long as you're working on your mindset and you haven't still got that belief system that you're missing out. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us really neatly on to what I asked you on here to talk about, which is your three areas or things in your life or things that you've done have changed since you've gone sober for the better. Well, that's so funny because when I saw you, you told me that's what it was going to be. And so I started writing stuff down and then I stopped because it's it's everything for me is everything. But so interestingly, the fundamentals of my life hasn't haven't changed. You know, I'm still married. I've still got my children. I'm still doing the same job. I'm living in the same house. At the same time, everything has changed for me because I've changed so much. You know, I feel like I'm back to my authentic self. Because as I said, alcohol just robbed me of my joy. I was really depressed for a, a long time um, to the point where when it was at its worst, it was, you know, it wasn't that I was just down. I was really depressed. I, I had my girls, so I had to get out of bed and function. But even that process of getting up in the morning 
was crippling for me. I'd lie there going, right, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. Everything, every small thing, making breakfast for my children was just like this huge chore. Everything became really, really hard. And looking back, the only thing that I've changed since that time was stopping alcohol. I mean, it's amazing, really, if I think about it. So, yeah. So, as you said, it didn't take long for my base level, which was, you know, down below my boobies, to suddenly very slowly it's up here now actually it's higher than the point that I was chasing all that time so I always when I was drinking my ultimate plateaued point would be after probably about two glasses and that's how I feel now Louisa I mean it actually Mm. brings a tear to my eye obviously stuff happens in life and I'm not you know Mary Poppins but a lot of the time I do feel like I am I mean I'm literally I'm so so much happier and so much more excited about life and my everyday you know I'm I'm lucky to be alive and I'm very appreciative of my life I'm so aware of how it nearly all got taken away from me it really felt like that it felt like it was just gonna take everything and it nearly did but I got it back (laughs) and you've got your your mega white eyeballs as well which I've seen on your on your yes, page yes I don't know how white they're looking at the moment they are yeah. they are beautifully white <laughs> yeah isn't that I, I mean I, I went to a do the other day all sober people and I just can spend hours looking in the eyes of sober people you don't realize how cloudy your eyes are and I'm not talking about yellow eyes now I'm just talking cloudy they don't yeah I could put lipstick on in my husband's eyes you know literally because he's quit <laughs> drinking as well and it's just like you can see the life. Eyes are the windows to the soul, aren't they? They say it's like you can see somebody's soul come back to life. Yeah. Yeah. And I really felt that, you know, I, as I said, I can't think of one part of my personality that hasn't improved since I stopped drinking. You know, I like to think I'm sort of funny and quick witted and things, but actually, I do feel funnier now I'm sober because I'm more quick witted. You know, I'm not fuzzy I'm I'm everything is sort of in technicolor and speeded up including my brain and that's the thing and so you you've got quite a quick brain then I know that we've had a bit of a chat about this and this is something that I have as well is that my brain constantly needs entertaining so how have you dealt with that in sobriety well I mean I've just thrown myself in I I, yeah I know I'm an all or nothing person but um I've channeled that into things that I enjoy that are good for me like so I'm really into my exercise at the moment so you know obviously I don't do it two days a week I do it seven days a week and I'm you know lifting weights and I'm running around and doing all of this stuff and it's really great actually I've just got a lot more passion for things that make me happy I love children I'm a nursery teacher so I teach young children you know I notice it in every part of my life everything is better that is amazing I love the idea of that job. But how did you find that as a drinker? That must have been quite difficult. So, yes, I was drinking when I first started back at work after I'd had the girls. And, yeah, it was just a drudgery, you know, not a drudgery because I love being around kids. But I was a trained reception teacher, but there was no way I wanted the responsibility of being a teacher again. I went in at a, a much lower level because I, I just didn't have any confidence, never mind mm. the fact that I hadn't worked for a while. I'd had my girls and I'd stopped work. And so going back to work felt like, oh, I don't know if I can do anything anyway. 
But when they asked me to come in at a different level and a different job, and I was just like, oh, no, I can't do that because I just didn't have any self-confidence at all, which is another thing, actually. My confidence has totally changed. When I first went back to work, working with small children, I enjoyed it, but I didn't have the energy that I did when I stopped. You know, when I stopped drinking again, all of that energy and excitement came back. And then it's easy. I find my job easy because I like being around kids and I get excited about the stuff they get excited about, I suppose. I don't know. And and again, I watch my toddler. I even watch my 11-year-old and children have such a zest for life. And that's what I remind myself of when I look at my sobriety, because they see the world through unfiltered eyes. You know, they're always in the present moment. They are always there playing, happy, content. I just look and I think I wanted more of that. I wanted that. I remember being a child and being excited about a holiday or about a weekend or about Christmas or your birthday. You know, those are the biggest excitements. Yeah. And as an adult, you feel that excitement's gone, but when you go sober, honestly, it comes back. That excitement returns. Yeah, it's so, so true. You put it so, so well, because I was going to say the thing that I really love about being around children, yeah, they're so joyful. I feel exactly like that. I can feel that excitement back in me now. You know, before it was just about, oh, when am I going to have a drink? You know, it's just so sad, really, isn't it? Now I'm excited about going to the cinema or going on holiday or doing things with my kids or going to meet my friends. Yeah, I've just got my joy back, really. I know I keep on repeating myself, but that's what it is. It's everything. And it is everything. It really is. But one thing I do know, you had trauma as well, didn't you? In your sober time, you had the really, really sad passing of your mum and your sister. And that's just heartbreaking. Yeah, I really... Sorry about that. But you did that sober. I did. And thank God I was sober. But I think actually it's a message that I need to sort of convey to people because I remember thinking when I first went sober, I remember thinking, God, but this isn't going to work if something awful happens. But actually it was the opposite because I'm so much calmer in my sobriety and I'm so much more myself. I coped with that a lot better than if I'd been drinking. You know, if I'd been drinking, it would have been awful. And it was awful, but I was there. It is a really, really important thing to get across, isn't it? Yeah. We do worry. And I've thought to myself, what if something terrible happened? And the mantra I keep running in my head is that if something terrible happens and you drink, then you're just going to have the terrible thing. You'll have quashed the emotions so you won't have dealt with them. Yeah. And you'll be pissed. Exactly. How is that actually going to help you? Absolutely. And I was so aware of that when it happened that it wasn't even an option because I was so aware of where it would take me and it would have taken me away from those people that I really loved. It was, you know, it would have taken me away from the hospital. I wouldn't have been there. You know, instead of sleeping next to my sister until she died, I would have been, God knows, being sober through those times. I'm so, so grateful that I was so grateful. And exactly that, you know, if something awful happens when you're sober, 
it's great that you're sober because you have that insight to know there's not going to help anything. It's just no, going to exactly. pause and then come back in a total tirade of great big tidal wave over you. Yeah. And it's it's one of the, the phrases I use in the clinic is that you can't suppress emotions. It's like trying to hold air bubbles underwater. They always find their way to the surface. And I wasn't aware of this. I wasn't in the job that I'm doing now when my father passed away. And that was very sudden. Uh, I know you lost your father very suddenly as well, didn't you? Um, And at the time, you probably drank to cope with it like I did. I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to be turning to alcohol here, but I couldn't help myself because it was my coping mechanism. And so it wasn't that I went mad. I just wanted to zone out. I couldn't sleep. I was really struggling. I was dealing with all the admin that happens with a really sudden death. And then six months later, I ended up with panic attacks. And I look back on that now and I understand what happened I wasn't dealing with the grief and my body just took over and went, right, well, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to scream at you to listen to me. Mm. And it wasn't until, and I connected it, I connected the panic attacks, I realized why it was, and I haven't had one since. And also, interestingly, my anxiety is a lot less now I'm not drinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you hear a lot about anxiety on um, sober Instagram and things, and I was thinking the other day, I didn't really get anxiety and then I was like hang on a minute you know if if you think of being anxious I was so anxious I was so stressed out the whole time because my body was you know trying to process this poison I'd be walking down the road with my head down you know I didn't want to speak to anyone or if my phone rang I'd think oh who's that and you know that's anxious I was anxious I had anxiety Um, But yeah, going back to when my dad died when I was 20, that's when I actually discovered alcohol because I didn't know how to cope with that at all. And so that's when I realised that I could use drink to sort of block it out. And he Um, had a heart attack, didn't he? He died very suddenly. Unbelievably, you know, 20 years later when my sister died, I was grieving my dad because I, it's been all that time that I'd, I'd blocked it out. So, yeah, you're right. Either, however long ago those emotions stay there, don't they? And then they just come up when you allow them to. I'd, I spent a lot of time blocking out a lot of my emotions because I was scared of them. You know, I was scared of how I was going to deal with grief or deal with all of these feelings that I had. But actually, now I am sober and I'm, I'm in control of letting them out slowly and going through my shit, whatever you want to call it, I can, um, you know, and because I'm in such a better place, I'm not stressed and anxious and I'm regulated. A level, you know. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good term, isn't it? Regulation. That's They're regulated. And so emotions and the, the improvement in your emotions and reduction in anxiety are definitely big positives for you then in sobriety. Massive, massive. And being present, obviously. Yeah. So are you somebody that's out there and loudly sober? So, well, this brings me to sober Instagram. So when I first went sober, I was just I was just so embarrassed about having a problem. You know, not that I ever had a problem with calling myself an alcoholic, but I spent so much 
wasted time on whether I was or wasn't and you know what, what that meant so I didn't really tell anybody about how bad it had got or I kept a lot of it sort of to myself didn't even tell a lot of people that I'd stopped drinking when I had um, the first time around this time as I said I've done things very differently so when I discovered sober Instagram a bit like you I sort of opened up a page although I did put my face on it straight away but I didn't really know what I was doing it for. And it became this really lovely kind of almost like a diary, you know, because I was feeling so excited about how much things were changing and how much better I was feeling. And now I just want to tell everybody. And I also want to tell everybody how bad it was, because I think being a mom and, you know, losing control of your drinking or being an alcoholic, I felt so much shame around it. Keeping it a secret is what kept me how I was for so long, you know, drinking in secret and not getting the help that I needed. And it's so refreshing, isn't it? On sober Instagram, everyone's just telling you exactly how it was and exactly how it can be. And it's, yeah, it's really great for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a wonderfully honest platform. But yeah, it's just a lovely space. It's really encouraging. And I do say to anybody, because there may be people that are listening to this via Spotify or Apple or different platforms, that if they haven't had the opportunity to go and explore hashtag sober, hashtag sober UK or sober life, then do it because you're going to find amazing people that aren't afraid to be honest about how bad things got with alcohol, because at the end of the day, it's a drug. It's a really highly addictive, socially acceptable drug that we are walking away from. And there are some people that don't have a choice to walk away from it. And there are some people that you don't have to hit that rock bottom. It's how we manage a poison, isn't it? I could manage it okay then. And it wasn't like the center point of my life. So I always kind of look at it like, well, I wasn't hiding bottles, you know, in my cupboard until I was. You know, I wasn't waiting till I could have a drink until suddenly I was. It didn't consume my head until it did. I was heading towards that way probably for a long time. And then suddenly I was out of control. You just don't know when that's going to creep up on you. Yeah. And so so what's been your biggest achievement in sobriety? What would you say? Have you done anything different that you would never have done as a drinker? Apart from going to the gym seven times a week. (laughs) No, I just I just feel quite proud of myself, actually. You so know, it's like the, the baseline of your life has just ramped itself up. Yeah. And I just, you know, I do more things, I suppose, because, for example, socialising, I would think, well, if it's, you know, if it's not ending in a pub or a bar or a drink, then what's the point? So I might say no to someone who suggests something that I didn't think sounded, inverted commas, exciting. But now I'll I'll say yes to most things that people suggest to me because there's always excitement to be found that I didn't know about. A friend of mine, her partner started doing five element acupuncture and he was looking for a person to, you know, practice on. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that, you know, and now I'm doing that and it's great. It makes me feel wonderful. But I don't know if I would have said yes to that before. So you've become more of a yes person. Yeah, definitely. I think I have as well. When your focus is, well, when can I get home and have a glass of wine? You know, I even noticed the other day taking my daughter to the school disco. I'm thinking, well, in my head, I'd have been a little bit annoyed, if I'm honest. Not that I was annoyed with her, but just annoyed at having to go out and drive and not being able to have that glass of wine. Yeah, exactly. Or (laughs) it's funny you should say that because 
or not that it got cancelled in the end but yeah a thing going out from school saying will you be a helper at the school disco and me going yeah (laughs) you know I would never have said that before no I'm still not saying that (laughs) I don't want that responsibility No. no but yeah so I would say my achievement is exactly what I dreamed of which is to be in a life where I'm not missing it and I know that I'm living my I sound so cheesy but I really am I feel like the best version of myself that I could be at the moment rather than just feeling I could do better or I could be more I just feel so grateful that I realized in time to get my life back really and nobody ever says they regret going sober do they they always say oh I wish I'd done it years ago so if you were to give yourself a piece of advice then back at the start of your sobriety journey could be the first time or this time what would you say to yourself number one thing I would say to myself is install audible on your phone Sophie and buy some books the naked mind by Annie Grace is it yeah that is yeah it's a good one and yeah the Alan Carr how to stop drinking or how women stop drinking or something like that and just because I, I think when I first thought about, oh, yes, I should I should start reading some books about this. Well, I didn't actually want to, you know, because I was just so frustrated at, at the fact that I'd stopped drinking. I was like, oh, I don't want this to take over my life. I don't want to be going to all these meetings, AA meetings and doing all this stuff. And it was just it just irritated me because I didn't want to do it. So I didn't want to be sober. So I was finding anything, any other time I didn't want to be thinking about it so I certainly didn't want to be reading books about it yeah I felt quite annoyed about the whole thing it was somebody else's idea for you to go sober yeah the first my, time yeah it was my husband saying look this is getting out of control me knowing it was getting out of control but what really helped me was my kids because I was thinking no this isn't this is going something awful is going to happen how old are they at that time there's 16 months between them so they were little but there were three and four, I think, when I first stopped. But I was in, you know, in charge of them and nothing had happened. And I thought it was all very safe and OK, but it felt like I was losing control. So I knew I had to stop. And it was my husband. It was, you know, them saying, right, well, not my kids, but my husband saying, you've got to do something about this. Are you going to go to an AA meeting? And me going, uh, OK. Um, but yeah, back to the the quitlet what I would say to myself is you don't need to get the book and have time to read it and because I just put it off I'd, I had the books the actual books but I was thinking oh no I haven't got enough time I have to really concentrate what I would say to myself is put it on audible and put it on all the time yeah. you know listen to it while you're on the way to school on the way back to school while you're loading the dishwasher while you're having a bath just have it playing it doesn't matter if you're listening to it or not because I know a lot of it went in subconsciously and if you think oh I didn't know what it just rewind and do it I literally I saturated my brain those early days this time and it was so much easier because I didn't give my brain a chance to go into negotiations about whether I could start being sober next week instead did you know what I mean I just yeah stayed away from it so that was number one I'd say that to myself the other thing I would say to myself um, that someone said to me really useful was if you think you're suddenly going to go 
you know, I call it the fuck it switch. If you're suddenly going to go, oh, I'm just going to go and have a drink. Just leave, time it, leave it half an hour and go off and do something else. And then if you still feel like it after the half an hour, leave it another half an hour. Just push the time out. That For me, that really, really helped because by the time the half an hour had passed, I would be like, no, that's a really bad idea because I've got to, you know, do this or I've got to go there. Or So that was a useful tip that someone gave me. And what I say to clients is never, ever make a decision in a stressed moment. So never, ever, because I personally go into complete overwhelm when I'm stressed. It's never about the thing I'm stressed about. It's always about everything else, you know. And so knowing this about yourself and knowing that about myself in that moment where maybe the wine witch was chattering away, don't make the decision now. If you still want to do it again in half an hour, an hour tomorrow but it's that tricking your mind and never reacting respond to these things in life because stresses and strains will happen yeah absolutely we are far better equipped to deal with stress to deal with grief to deal with all these hassles in life because I know we bounce around we're like really happy about being sober I know that somebody once said to me oh you're in the pink cloud and I went no it's it's that life is like this for me my life is pink my life is a pink cloud but I'm not unrealistic I know that there are things that are going to come along and knock me and so I prepare myself for that my sobriety is the thing that's going to help me but right at the start I didn't know that I think that would probably be my thing I'd say to myself is trust that this is the best thing for you yeah yeah, that's really helpful. to t- And also for me, I, I, to turn it around as well and say, if you were your best friend, what would you say to you? If you could look at your life and say, you know, if you were in a film, you'd be going, oh, no, she's really got to stop drinking. And then and then you'll, she'll have the lovely happy ending. I could see that if I carried on, I was going to end up certainly not with a really close relationship with my children, which is what I was desperately, desperately is so important to me because I didn't have a great relationship with my own mum, you know, being a good mum was everything and is everything to me. Um, and now I am, and I'm proud of myself for that. And so let's talk about mum, being mum, right? Let's talk about the difference between being a drinking mum and being a sober mum. What would you say it's like for you now as a mum? And what was it like then? Well, when I um, was a drinking mum, when my girls were really little, the unravelling happened very quickly. So there wasn't really an awful, you know, long, long period of time. But I would just say the amount of time being really present and with them. You know, I really noticed that when I stopped for the first time. I was just I was there. I was in it 300 percent. You know, obviously I had a job and everything else in my life, but yeah, to not be rushing off at bedtime so I could come down for a glass of wine, bottle of wine, or, you know, going out for lunch with friends and then it turning into being about the alcohol rather than being with them. I was so ashamed and disgusted by that part of me. I mean, I, I'm, I was human and I couldn't cope with the drinking, but I hated that part of me because I wanted to be there for my children properly. Yeah. I completely hear you. And and I did the same mummy wine culture, you know, play dates and the children were always safe, always safe. We're not talking about getting rolling drunk here or anything, but just, 
you know, it's lunchtime. Should we have a cheeky glass of Prosecco? You know, Mm. but it's that culture that has crept into our lives. But this idea that it's cool to be reliant on alcohol as a mother is just so toxic. Well, it's so toxic. And, you know, my girls are 11 and 12 now. And I think what kind of, I mean, luckily my husband isn't a big drinker, but that's another story. He still drinks and that's very hard. But um, I don't want them growing up seeing me using every time that I've got a stressful situation or every time I want to have fun drinking, because that's basically teaching them that that is the solution. You know, and that then it all it all rolls on to the next generation, doesn't it? I want to be a good role model for my girls and show them that it's okay for me to cry in front of them, that it's okay for me to tell them that if I'm stressed or see me coping in different ways, speaking to friends. You know, I, I started doing bereavement counselling, which is something I never thought I'd do in my sobriety. And I told them about that because I want them to know that, you know, having counselling and that kind of thing is you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I think I still, I mean, the fact that I'm even saying that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think my, my parents' generation, it was kind of frowned on to ever talk about feelings or emotions. So I've grown up thinking that certainly when I was younger, I never thought I would see a counsellor or a specialist in any kind of emotional, mental health way, because I would see that as a weakness. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, it is a generational thing, isn't it? Yeah. We are of a generation, and I think future generations are even better. But I think this openness with mental health and discussing things and having therapy, going to counselling, having grief counselling, of course you need counselling. No, None of us are taught how to deal with loss. Mm. None of us are taught how to do that. You know, we're teaching our children the same thing, whatever we do. And that's the one thing I noticed with my daughter, who's about the same age as your two but she now is quite insistent she doesn't want to drink alcohol but she has said to me no mum I just I don't see the point of even starting it I saw how difficult it was for you to stop Mm, that's so great isn't it and she's 11 just about to turn 12 yeah that's so great isn't it that's so great but having that experience of because she witnessed Dale and I would drink most evenings that I thought, what are, what are we teaching the children? Now, our youngest is two and mm. she'll never remember either of us drinking because he has now said he only he said he was going to do it for a year. And now he said, no, there's no way he's going back to drinking, which is phenomenal. That's amazing. So how do you cope with your husband? You said you touched on the fact that he does drink. How do you deal with that? Because I know a lot of people will be listening and have a partner that still drinks. All I would say is it gets easier because right at the beginning when I stopped, I found it so hard because I was so uncomfortable in my own skin and so unsure of myself and whether I could do it that him drinking made it so much worse. But now we've got things in place like I don't if he's out drinking he doesn't sleep in the same bed as us I hate seeing him drunk so if we go out and he starts drinking I just leave and leave him to it you know I would never tell him what to do but I think just keeping your own side of the street clean that's how I put it you know I just I I get on with what I'm doing and um, and that does become a lot easier the longer you're sober 
and hopefully it'll rub off on him and he'll go oh yes maybe I'll stop too but I, I don't know he must see such a change in you though yeah uh, yeah he does but like I say he's one of those weird robot people who will have a glass of wine and then put the rest back in the fridge so you know well yeah. you know what told me something the other day that I never ever realized because when I was drinking I just assume everyone drank like me you know you have a drink and then you have another drink and then you either have enough willpower to stop or you carry on <laughs> you know that's how I drank but he said to me and literally this is something we've been married for 16 years this is something I only found out about him when he told me a couple of weeks ago because uh, I asked him I said you know how do you feel after you've had a couple of drinks like how do you stop how what does it do to you I think after I'd read something and I was you know trying to find out the key find out more information and he said oh I um I, I always stop after two because I don't want to be sick I said, okay oh. and he said you know I know that if I drink more than that I start feeling queasy and I just hate the idea of you know being sick vomiting I was like, what? I never knew that about you. And he's got this in his head that it'll make him feel queasy because he has got a bit of a um, mamby stomach. But I was really blown away by that because I just always thought that he just had an amazing amount of willpower. No, he's just listening to his body. That's what yeah. we weren't doing. We weren't yeah. listening to our bodies. But then then the, the trick is with alcohol is that your bodies gain that tolerance and then you don't get sick and the room doesn't spin. I remember the first time I got drunk. Oh, I embarrassed myself. It was at a school party, but I was mortified. Now you think that would put you off drinking or you think that I would then go on to think the same way. But the only thing it stopped me doing was getting drunk to excess. Mm. So I would never get people talk about getting rolling drunk and they've got, you know, absolute blackouts. You know, I never went all out drinking. And it was because I had this fear of the room spinning and mm. possibly a fear of being sick, actually. But the tolerance I had, I could easily sit there and, and drink a bottle of wine with somebody, not feel sick, not feel any effects whatsoever. If I did it now, it would hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And that's the difference, isn't it, when you haven't created that tolerance? Yes, yes. And I suppose, I mean, I can count on my hands the times that I have been sick through alcohol. So I think I've got a bit of a cast iron stomach. So I could carry on drinking until it wasn't an issue of me being sick. It was an issue of me passing out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you'd be a sleepy drunk. You weren't an angry drunk or a... No, I went from, oh, I love everybody and everything's great and let's buy 20 rounds and, you know, to, uh, yeah, being asleep. But yes, my drinking was very different when I um, had the girls and then I was just drinking alone. Well, when I wasn't out drinking with my friends, I would just carry it on alone by myself at home when my husband was away. And then it all went a bit dark because then it would just be, you know, the girls have gone to bed. I'll drink until I fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. Did great you fun. use it? Do you think you used it to help you sleep? Yeah, definitely. I didn't think I could sleep without having a few glasses of wine. And how is your sleep now you're sober? Because that is a big reason why people resist stopping drinking. What do you think, Louisa? So yes. I know what you're going to say. So I would go to sleep very quickly when I would pass out or whatever. I'd have a few drinks and I'd fall asleep. And then I'd wake up because of obviously, I, I'm sure there are other things, but the sugar, I should imagine, in itself. I'd wake up at one or two o'clock in the morning. Oh, no, I read something about 
it being your body produces more we so to get the alcohol out so you will wake up to go to the loo I've never wet the bed I would always wake up and go to the loo and then I couldn't get back to sleep because I would be having sweats and anxiety about oh I have to go downstairs check I'd turn the oven off lock the back door you know all of that paranoia and it's that yeah it's that anxiety that paranoia of your mind racing I would get a 3 a.m wake up it was usually and especially towards the end it was oh God, I drank again and I said I wasn't going to. And I just wake up and starting your day. I mean, three o'clock is an early start to your day, but starting your day mentally with a good kick up the backside that you're giving yourself. I mean, it's horrible. Really it's horrible. Horrible, horrible existence. So that anxiety then I'd go back to sleep, then not sleep properly. But now I sleep. I sleep like a baby and my baby doesn't sleep. I go to bed go to sleep and wake up in the morning. Yeah, I'm got- not quite managing that with a two-year-old, but I'm working on it. Theory, if she wasn't there. If she was sleeping through and the odd night she has slept through, like the two times she slept through, um, then yeah, I've I've actually managed to do that. And you wake up and it's almost like, wow, I haven't seen any hour in between when I went to sleep and when I woke up. That's amazing. What changes have you noticed from a spirituality perspective from being a drinker to being sober? Well, the big thing that I've noticed this time, so my sister and my mum passed away and I was still sober. That, But when I started drinking um, last summer for six months, I feel like I lost contact with them. Not that I'm, you know, hugely, I'm not into ghosts or anything, but when they died, I really felt a really strong connection to them still. Like I'd have this weird thing that I knew if I turned the radio on, there'd be a song playing that was telling me something. Or I'd find, you know, I found a, a bracelet in the road with my sister's initial on when we'd been talking about buying my daughter a, a charm bracelet. So very strange things like that happen. Yeah. And when I had that six months of drinking, I feel like. I just lost contact with them and that's come back again now. So now I feel, I just feel more connected to them. I can't quite put my finger on it. Oh, I'm, I need to tell you actually the story of how I still feel connected to my dad. So this is a bit of a weird story. So when I first stopped drinking, the day I first stopped drinking, this is what happened and this is why I stopped. I'd been drinking, you know, it was, it was all it was all falling apart. My husband had said to me, you've got to stop this. You know, you're just going to lose everything. And I was really upset. And I went downstairs and I was um, making breakfast for my two girls. And I vowed to my husband that I was going to stop. And I really thought in my soul, I was like, I've got to stop now. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I have to stop. And then I could already feel my brain going into you know, the wine, which as you call it going, well, maybe I'll stop tomorrow because it's going to be really hard to stop today. Maybe I need to go out and get a little bottle of wine um, just to, you know, tide me over and oh, I'm a bit shaky. So, uh, you know, all of these awful things already, uh, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, these thoughts started going through my head. And then I just had this really strong feeling that I needed to go and see what was on the TV where my my two daughters were next door watching Dora the Explorer. 
well I was making porridge and I suddenly sort of dropped the spoon because I was like I need to go and listen to what the TV's saying I appreciate this making me sound really weird and mad but no we love we love weird we love weird Um, And I went into the sitting room and Dora was there with this big shaggy dog that had gone into this pond or river and she was patting it dry with a towel and she said, we just need to get you dry and you'll be okay. That, That is profound. And I and I didn't I didn't understand it. And so I repeated it like in my head. I was like, we just need to get you dry and you'll be okay. What? What was the likelihood of that? I thought, right, that's dad going, come on, this is what you need to do. And then I stopped drinking. That's the day I stopped drinking for four years. That is amazing. And I I totally believe. Yeah. Because my dad died seven, eight years ago, nearly. And he died in his sleep very, very suddenly. And it was just so sudden. And it was heartbreaking. And the day he died... My mum, obviously, we were devastated and we were by where I live and she spotted an electrician van. I went into the local supermarket just to get something for us to eat that night. I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. I I burst into tears and didn't pay, I think. I just completely lost it. And when I came back out, she went, look, 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 look. And this electrician's van is um, the initials I.M. Gray. G-R-A-Y. Now, my dad's nickname or shortening of his name, he's Graham, and his shortening of his name was G-R-A-Y. So it, we read it as I am Gray. And I said, of all the signs to send yeah. us a vehicle, brilliant, because he loved his cars and he loved, you know, very practical man and an electrician's van at that. And then I know this is a local electrician, so we were going to see him a lot, but it was always somewhere the first day of work I followed this van up a lane right and it was a dead end lane and he turned off to the driveway before this place I was working at and I just felt like my dad was constantly sending me signs so it's not it I don't think it's it's bonkers at all I think there is a lot to life that we don't understand and drinking alcohol it's called spirits for a reason. I think it robs us of our ability and our connection from a spiritual perspective. They talk about it lowering your vibration. Absolutely. There are some cultures that believe that bad spirits loiter over clubs in order to sort of swoop on people where the drinks in, my mum's got a saying, when the drinks in, the wits out. And that kind of I would often say I could feel sometimes when I'd had a drink and, you know, you have an argument or something and you you think to yourself, this isn't you. Why are you saying that? And you have this out of body experience where you're trying to get yourself to shut up or stop. <laughs> and that I always say is is it's like your spirit leaves your body. And yeah, and the I, I feel that they're helping me and guiding me and watching me and when I'm sober, I feel that a lot. We've already touched on the spiritual side of things, but physically, what have you noticed? What did you notice in the four years? Uh, The main thing, apart from obviously I'm my lovely clear eyes and my skin totally changed. Actually, I noticed the six months that I drank again, I suddenly got all this eczema and this like rash that came up and then I stopped drinking. A week later, it was gone. There's like really clear proof. My body was going, ah, what are you doing to me? Well, after four years of sobriety and then yeah. you have a drink, 
it was probably screaming at you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the the biggest, biggest physical change, I would say, to my energy levels. You know, I'm not sluggish anymore. I wake up and I'm awake. You know, my brain is working. Oh, my memory, my brain. I can't believe you see. I forgot to tell you that I don't forget anymore. <laughs> I, I, I literally, my best friend, her nickname, and I've told her she can't call me this anymore, um, is Dory because out of, um, yeah, Finding Nemo. Because, yeah, I just, I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember people's names, never alone what I was doing last week or, you know, what I'd said or anything, really. I just, yeah, my memory was shot to bits. So for anybody listening to this who is thinking of sobriety or at the start of their sobriety, all of these things come back. The body has this amazing ability to regenerate, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's so exciting. I literally thought I was going to into um, early Alzheimer's. I really did. I, I mean, wow. I, I thought, I just can't remember anything. And now, haha, I was saying to my husband, oh, no, that was yesterday. And oh, no, she was called Jane, not Sue. Yeah, can you not remember? <laughs> oh, he must love that. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> you can remember all the arguments. Yes. <laughs> all the times he was wrong. You will have so much more power because you will say, no, that is not what happened. This happened. <laughs> oh, there's nothing worse, is there, than a, a drunk argument where neither of you then can particularly remember the next day who's wrong. So annoying. Or, or who's right. Oh, it has been an absolute delight chatting to you. It's been just so lovely to see you. I've been no. following you these six months and you're happy sober. There's nothing that isn't better now I'm sober. And that is a soundbite of the century. <laughs> so thank you so much. And that was the best ending to any show. <laughs> and just to remind you that this podcast and all opinions contained within it is simply a positive look at what it means to be sober. It isn't designed to lighten the subject of alcohol abuse, rather show that there is light at the end of the tunnel for anyone considering sobriety. It's for the purpose of inspiration and entertainment, and not a replacement for therapy. Alcohol use disorder is a serious subject, and so if you're struggling, then please seek the help of a trained professional, and don't suffer alone. Until next time, take care. <laughs>